0: Hi, everyone, and welcome to another episode of Let's Talk Risk with Dr. Naveen Agarwal. Each week, we talk about a topic related to risk management of medical devices in a very casual and informal way. This is not a webinar or lecture. Rather, our goal is to talk about key topics and challenges in a very informal way and share best practices. I'm your host, Naveen Agarwal, and I'm the principal and founder at Achieve where my personal mission is to help you achieve success in risk management. My guest in this episode is Dr. Mark Armstrong. He's the Director of Medical and Pharmacovigilance Safety at a global medical device manufacturer. Mark is an MD by training and also a biomedical engineer. So he's able to bridge the world of medical safety and quality regulatory R&D engineering functions in a global manufacturing environment. We are talking about the importance of cross-functional collaboration. Risk management, after all, is a team sport. And Mark, with his years of experience and training, is able to play the role of a culture broker. We had this conversation in front of a live audience as part of our weekly Let's Talk Risk series on LinkedIn. You're about to hear a recording of our conversation. So sit back, relax, and enjoy the show. So uh, with that, Mark, I'm so excited to welcome you. Please uh, start by introducing yourself uh, briefly to our audience today. Hi, everyone. Uh, I'm Mark
1: Armstrong. Thanks, Naveen, for having me on. I really enjoy all of your posts and um, you know all of your expertise that you share on LinkedIn. I'm glad that you have this forum for us to collaborate and discuss Um so, uh, I guess starting with my background. Um anybody can click on my LinkedIn profile and see the whole spiel I put it all there. Um but starting from a very young age, I love solving problems and fell in love with biology and so solving I had an engineering biology brain and that led me through into medical school focused on the surgical side of it. Um went in the direction of minimally invasive gynecological surgery um, and ended up realizing that i'm probably i'm probably better um, and more passionate about the devices themselves than being in the clinical role and i could probably make a bigger impact Um, so i left um, ob-gyn residency got a master's in uh, biomedical engineering at the university of south florida and then transitioned from there. I, did, I got a lot of great exposure there um, from the whole med device life cycle. Um, we put together a whole GLP uh, system. So I learned a lot about FDA regulation of preclinical testing, and then um, pivoted from there to industry in a variety of roles. And so I've seen a few different sides of the industry um, and coming from the medical background and the engineering background, um, ended up finding a really great home at BD, where I currently work in global medical safety. Kind of bridge the gap there between a lot of
0: different things. Oh, that's that's awesome, Mark. First of all, it's so impressive uh, for you to share this and combining study of medicine and engineering. Wow. That is just so impressive. I'm so, so um, happy to hear that, that you can actually have deep knowledge about both worlds and conversation about that. So before we get started, guys, I think I wanted to share with you a quick LinkedIn poll I had done, um, I think a couple of months ago, where I asked this question, which of the following functions is primarily accountable for patient safety in your organization? And I said, quality regulatory, medical affairs, medical safety, R&D, or it's a shared accountability. 60% of the 140 people who responded to that poll said it's a shared accountability. So I think intuitively all of us understand that patient safety is not somebody's sole responsibility, but our shared collective responsibility. So how do we get better at that? And there's no better person to ask that question than Mark, because I think you can bridge that gap and help us understand how we bring this focus on patient safety working with our cross-functional partners. What have you seen that that really works
1: yeah that that's a great poll, and I think it it aligns with what I've seen in the industry so far. most like probably sixty percent of people are on board very collaborative and maybe forty you know that forty percent we have to work a little harder with to um bridge the gap, be a cultural broker there mm-hmm. um, from my experience r and d and quality are appropriately focused. On the expertise of manufacturing and function of function of the device, medical affairs in general um, tends to be focused on responding to post-market surveillance findings and adverse events, and um, and then the clinical affairs component um, tends to be focused on evidence generation. You know, solving those problems that are queued up by are teed up by R and D and quality and medical affairs and the design. And you know, what do we need to prove to um, show that our the benefits outweigh the risks of our products? Um, in all of those roles, like you said, n- neither one of those, is, neither of them are more important than the others. Mm-hmm. Um, but it's really important, in my experience, to understand the biases you bring uh, from your area of expertise and seek to learn and appreciate the perspective of all the other functions. Um, and when you can do that, you can really um, make a lot of progress and fi- bridge those gaps that could lead to safety safety issues.
0: Um, yeah. Yeah. That, yeah. yeah. It, makes a, it makes a lot of sense to me. And, you know, I'm an engineer by training. So I've worked in large organizations, cross-functional roles, matrix organizations. And you are so right when you say that, individual functional functions are very much focused on their area of expertise, their deliverables. So one of my reaction to this poll result was when people said, 60% of the people said, it's a shared accountability. One of the thoughts I had was, when everyone views this as our collective responsibility, actually no one is responsible. You know, we just look at somebody <laughs> else. We just look at somebody else and do it, right? Yeah. And yeah. I, I, I bet, I bet that people look at you and say, Mark, you are the med- medical guy. You are the under- you are the one who understands patient safety. You handle it. Have you come across mm. something like that in your in your kind of experience? Like people really expect you to take on the ownership, where everybody is, should be in the game. Hmm. Right.
1: Yeah, I think it's. I I don't think I've been put on the spot that directly Mm -hmm. i think um, what i've run into more so instead of you figure it out is the running into folks that say oh we already have covered that and maybe they maybe there's a little more and so i need to advocate for Uh pushing pushing the ball a little farther down the field um because um especially with older products and um when we bring we need to really update our, the way we're thinking about safety and risk management, it's all interconnected. Um, and that old school, I think product development risk management is, can we make this thing? Can we make it the way we designed it? Have we accounted for all the ways it could break? Mm-hmm. Have we accounted for most of the ways that people can use it incorrectly? And they think that's safety.
0: Um, that's safety. Yes. Also, oh, So, <laughs> so you are describing the opposite problem that, that, I have experienced in my past, you're describing the fact that people are, uh, in a way, already convinced that what they have done is sufficient, but it may not be from a safety point of view because, you know, they have Mm -hmm. not considered the patient view or the practical view, right? That's very interesting. So, Mark, I I know people are already kind of trying to uh, participate in this conversation. And uh, before I bring people on stage for, for this discussion, I have one more question to ask you is... You mentioned a very interesting uh, phrase as you see your role as a cultural broker. Can you say a little bit more about that? What do you mean by being a cultural broker in your organization to to bring this focus back on patient safety? How how do you go about doing that?
1: Yeah, I, I ran across that term um, a few months ago on a, in a LinkedIn article. It might have been Harvard Business Review or um, something of that nature. And it's we, a cultural broker basically translates between different cultures within a business. So um, with my background, I can speak physician, I can speak engineer, I can speak quality, I can speak PhD when we're talking clinical trial data and things like that. So um, I feel like while the primary role, my primary function is... Um, medical safety procedure and process and pharmacovigilance oversight and those sorts of things. The core of my job is really making sure that everyone understands, and isn't talking past each other, so mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. being a cultural
2: broker.
0: Yeah. And uh, w- one, more, one more point about that, because of course we understand that intuitively, but I can bet it might be pretty difficult in certain situations where maybe you're confronted like, Oh Mark, yes, you you are a biomedical engineer, but you really don't understand this engineering that I'm talking <laughs> about, right? Uh, yeah. how, have you come across something like that? And is there something you can share how you have handled that situation?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, it. I feel like the longer you're in a career and the more facets of expertise that you develop and wisdom you bring, you'll always have somebody that thinks they're more of an expert than you. I got I. Had a really great call with the mentor. who just got a lifetime achievement award at BD, and we talked about this very problem. And he has—he's multifaceted. He's a coder. He's a PhD. Um, and so when he talks to these young software engineers and coders, um, they dismiss him out out of hand. And um, so <laughs> his his recommendation, since he has—I—I I like to stand on the shoulders of giants rather than try to act like I know everything um is you provide a solution you you know it's all about trying to lead people to the the water trough rather than forcing it forcing water down their throat <laughs> yes so, yes um you even if someone may not understand or may have less may not have as broad of a vision as you do or broad expertise um it's important to still create that positive environment and um so you can collaborate you know keeping uh, that um positive psychological safe environment for them to say no and you to you know keep that dialogue going is probably more important than being right to some extent that's
0: <laughs> such such a nice thing uh to hear and it shows it shows like uh the depth of your your knowledge and experience and and wisdom so i really appreciate you sharing that with us uh, so, guys, our floor is open. Bijan, I know you have already joined us here, uh, so I will request you to unmute your mic and share what you have in mind.
2: Hi, Naveen and Mark. Uh, nice uh, to listen to you. Um, uh, you brought up uh, some interesting concepts, uh, and I wanted to uh, comment on some of them, Um Uh, One of them was about uh, the responsibility for risk management uh, versus uh, what I would call ownership. Uh, It is true, like Naveen said, that if you make it everybody's responsibility, then nobody's responsible. (laughs) But, like any endeavor, you need a leader, Uh, you need someone who takes ownership uh, of the process. But it is the responsibility of all the participants to contribute. So I think maybe what we should talk about is really the responsibility for contribution rather than responsibility for leadership because then Mm -hmm. you will not lose focus as to who's driving this ship. Yes. Yeah, that's a great point.
1: Yeah.
2: Yeah. Um, So I I typically would say uh, we need to have a risk manager and the risk manager is the person who is responsible for driving the process, uh, getting the inputs, Producing the outputs with the contributions from everybody, and uh, I also like that word that you just used about the culture broker, because uh, a risk manager, uh, it's uh, a leader and a leader of many disciplines uh, that that he or she needs to have the characteristics to be able to speak everybody's language. Uh, you were talking about speaking engineering, speak, speaking science, speaking speaking medicine. Uh, a risk manager really needs to be able to speak all these to all these different disciplines in order to lead them to the production of the risk management work products. Mm-hmm. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, for well sure. Said.
0: Well said. Uh, so it seems to me that you know, uh, as risk practitioners, this is the constant theme that I'm hearing uh, a lot in these conversations. That as risk practitioners, uh, we have to know the business of risk. Of course, we na- now have to know the requirements. The the technical side of it but we also need to build some leadership skills right because often we are in a role of a facilitator and we are in a role of sort of reminding everybody that we are all in it together and we have to work together so it doesn't have to be medical safety it doesn't have to be quality regulatory as like hey we are the one who is owning it but more like all of us are in it together but we have to figure out a way to keep it all together, right? That that becomes a very challenging task for a risk practitioner. So I'm sure we'll have more conversation on this, guys. Bichan, hang in there. I'm going to invite other people as well, guys. Uh, please raise your hand if you want to share your perspective or anything that you have experienced in your past working collaboratively with different people and what your experience has been. What are some of the barriers you have seen to collaboration? What are some of the best practices you have seen? Everything is... On the table, it's a very general conversation. So, Daniel, you have joined us here. Uh, please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind.
3: Hey, good morning. Thanks, Naveen, and, and and hi again, Mark. I've got a, I've got two questions for you, Mark. First question is the easy question: uh, Who is your your favorite global process owner at BD, pro, uh, past or uh, current? You're giving a mute button there.
0: Mark, uh, can you can you hear us? It looks like you might be on mute. So, so Daniel, one thing I will just qualify, try to qualify your question uh, is, you know, uh, maybe it's, Mark don't see this as asking for a name or a person. <laughs> I hope not, because we do, we want to keep it like yeah. sort of professional. Daniel, I hope that's okay with you.
3: Yeah, no, I was trying to make a joke because i i worked with mark when i was at bd um,
0: okay now, so we missed that part
3: this, <laughs> yeah yeah and now we're in this awkward part where his his mute button is broken and
0: now, <laughs> okay i missed that i i missed that part uh daniel <laughs> uh i think uh, we might have had might have yeah. some technical difficulty there yeah.
3: uh, i guess it was such a hard question he just he <laughs>
0: yeah i had
1: to leave i couldn't answer sorry <laughs> i had a little
3: glitch
0: there so right. you guys you guys know each other and you've worked in the past Correct. Yes. yes. Oh, oh, yes. nice, nice. Uh, well, thanks for uh, thanks for clarifying that because yeah. m- many of our audience may be uh, not aware of that. Uh, so yeah, Mark, go ahead and please uh, share yeah. your thoughts on Daniel's question the way you want to answer.
3: Uh, I would. I just need to hear it again. Okay. <laughs> oh, okay. First, I was I was asking who your favorite uh, global processor at BD ever was, but we we don't know the answer. Oh, completely. yeah. So we're not gonna, there's <laughs> no reason to, to ruminate on that. Um, okay i did have a real possible. question though as you're talking about like the cultural ambassador idea uh, i'm kind of curious you know looking at it from like patient um from the patient side you know mm-hmm. med device and companies industry you, you don't look at the individual patient you kind of look at the population holistically. whereas from a physician you're you're looking you're dealing in, in you know working directly with the individual patient do you think there's anything from like a um like a communication standpoint from like industry to physicians or from physicians to industry um that are, are missed or something that a different kind of way of thinking because of the kind of ways that industry versus a specific business and folks focuses on um, their, Mm -hmm. their patients.
1: Yeah. I, I think that is critical. Um, I think you can view it. I tend to think about problems and device development from a a ideation forward and a, you know, outcomes backward. Um, So In my role, I'm fortunate to see the design process moving forward. And starting from that point, I think it's crucial that um, companies and anyone developing a medical device or medical healthcare technology really talk to patients, really understand that individual patient story and um, all the different real clinical scenarios that could occur um, and why your product's needed and how it's actually used. On the back end, so um, so I really love my job. I feel I'm really grateful. I get to see both sides of it um, in complaint handling and adverse events. We see individual case studies, individual patients. Um, in that regard, we're trying. We're always trying to work to improve the quality of information we get about how our products function in the field and how it impacted individual patients. I. I think that process can always be improved because, as the medical safety guy, like sometimes, Naveen, I think you're right. Sometimes we get, especially from the post market surveillance, or we get a complaint and we're like, well, tell us what, you know, you're the medical safety guy, fix this. Yeah, tell us what. Yeah. Um, Yeah. And I think it's really, again, speaks to that synergy. We need to understand the patient story and how our products, why our products, are important, like uh, what the fundamental why is for a product, and I think that is to understand the clinical benefit and how it impacts the patient.
0: Um, yeah, on that, what I would add to that, my my experience, and I worked in post market surveillance um, you know, for many many years, work with physicians, surgeons at the same time. My my experience was this: is that through that intelligence gathering and analysis, what we learn is what might be foreseeable in the context of the use of our device. Because we are talking about individual scenarios. Like when we do design and development, we are looking at a the general picture, right? We are designing for the average and not many things might be foreseeable to us. But as we gain more intelligence in the, from the marketplace mm-hmm. and as we talk to doctors and physicians on our team, we begin to develop better foresight. Hey, this could also happen reasonably, remember, ISO 14971 talks about reasonably foreseeable. But mm-hmm. how, do you, how do you determine if something is reasonable or how do you figure out it's foreseeable? Mm-hmm. You have to work in the field with doctors like Mark who have engineering understanding also to develop that foresight. And I I, I tell you guys, that was the most powerful kind of aha moment to me when I said to myself, hey, As an engineer, I really didn't understand risk management until I started working with doctors in the post-market phase. So uh, to those of you who are just entering this field, please find a mentor, find somebody who you could ask these questions. Mark, does that resonate with you? Um,
1: Yeah, it does a lot. Um, So there are a lot of subtleties that I think maybe maybe they seem more obvious to me because of um, because I understand the engineering and clinical side of things, um, foreseeable, you know, foreseeable problems, foreseeable misuse, reasonably foreseeable things, what it, all of these are important terms. Um, another interesting term is systematic, um, off-label use or, mm-hmm. so we need to, so as we collect data, um, we need to, I think sometimes we're scared as a, I think sometimes product development folks, we designed it the way we designed it and it was perfect. And so we, we don't want to um, like, we designed the best product and we don't want to hear any criticisms. And we, you know, mm-hmm. um, we don't want to hear that, you know, it could be improved because we designed it the best way possible. Um, but by, And so then that brings me back to the point, apologies if I'm jumping, but you can't, you can't foresee something that you haven't already expected to observe. And so it's so important as early as possible to start thinking about clinical benefit, define that in a formal way during the design phase of your product. Maybe it's not a formal design input per ISO, but maybe it's a design requirement or like um, and you need you need to define that in an objective way so that as you move through product development, risk risk assessment, um, you need to also clinically evaluate your benefits, have some objective measure of that um, so that you can compare it compare the benefit to the risk at the end of that process and then mm-hmm. that that gives you your that gives you your starting point for understanding how to change things in the future, like the foreseeable change gotcha. to the benefit and the risk, in my opinion.
0: And I think that is where early collaboration in the design phase with uh, medical clinical experts is so important, right? So um, guys, uh, this is, again, we have uh, still five more minutes, and uh, I'm not seeing many people raising their hands. So uh, not yeah. sure if yeah. you know how to request that, but there should be a button on the bottom right of your screen. To request to speak, Uh, please join us. I know um, you probably have a lot of ideas, thoughts, questions, comments about this topic. Uh, Don't hold back because there's a great opportunity for us to talk about it in a casual way. That's the whole point. So Mm -hmm. uh, let's continue our conversation. We'll wait for folks to join. Mark, uh, uh, you were saying about clinical benefits.
1: Yes. And um, so I think I feel like I tied off that thought, um, but um, it's so important to. I think one of the so thinking about barriers to collaboration. Um, I wanted to go back to Bijan's comment about ownership versus responsibility, and I, I think from a from a functional standpoint, it's it's critical that we know who owns the who owns the process, but also that it's not a dictatorship. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah,
3: they
1: may own the SOP, but um, that everybody everybody's input is taken into consideration um so that's one barrier that i've seen unclear ownership mm-hmm. um another one old processes so when you're you can't define a clinical benefit in your design phase if there's not a place to define your clinical benefit your design phase right or so if
0: in the template maybe in the template it doesn't right. ask for it so we don't do it
1: right exactly okay so okay we need to create Um, processes that, um, encourage that. Um, and then also like it may, this may go back to the leadership bit, but I, you have to manage expectations and manage emotions and fear. Mm -hmm. So that 40% that thinks it's somebody else's responsibility, um, potentially says I've always done it this way. I've done my part. Um, I don't need to change. And I think that when you run into that, um, it's coming from a place of fear. And, mm-hmm. um, and so trying to manage that, creating a safe, positive psychological
0: environment and um, celebrating change and
1: yeah. trying to flip that.
0: Switch. And I, I think, Mark, that's where the, the notion of empathy comes in, right? We talked about this topic with uh, Christy Johnson a few weeks ago. That recording is available, by the way, guys. Uh, we talked about having empathy for our team members. If they are coming from a place of fear, we have to have empathy to figure out how we can navigate that and help everyone, and remind everyone that, hey, we are all in it together. Great, so Hemang, you have joined us. Please unmute your mic and share what you have in mind.
2: Hi, Naveen, hi, Mark. Uh, How are you doing? Good, good, good. Okay, Uh,
0: actually I want to ask something related to uh, our current product development phase. So we are in a very early feasibility phase and we are trying to build a preliminary hazard identification for uh, the project and like how the how, like, well, as per the ISO 9414971. So I would like to know like what should be our uh, initial content for the hazard identification for the device like and uh, there are not a lot of predicate devices for uh, for our, uh, like our kind of technology. So like what is the best uh, guess for us to uh, develop this pre- preliminary hazard identification? That's an excellent question. And you know, you are in luck because I have on this forum already several folks, including Bijan and Daniel, they'll have great insights. So Mark, go ahead and start. And I'll, you know, invite even Bijan and Daniel to share their thoughts on that. We might have lost Mark for just a minute. Okay, here, Mark, looks like you're back. So... Do you wanna do you wanna start by answering that question from Hemang, and I'll invite Bijan and Daniel also to share their thoughts.
1: Um, can you hear me now? Yes, we can. Okay. It seems like when I um, try to come off of mute, it, uh, I found a potential glitch. Maybe. Okay. Um, so, um, great question. I think hazard analysis assessment is so so critical. Um, obviously, you need to follow your regulatory guidelines, and there are a lot of great. You know frameworks to get started and from my perspective you know the the material safety you know um like what components of that those hazards can affect patient safety i generally like to um be a part of those discussions um and from uh and also like dan my and both all the people on this call are very um expert and i i'm sure they could weigh in um From from my perspective, sometimes people don't spend enough time on writing out step by step the process and in in immense detail and all of the clinical interactions and um, taking it out into the world and um, doing before you do your formal usability testing, do some you know some informal usability testing and mm-hmm. really make sure you understand how your product is going to be used and will function and all the components of it. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you really have that mapped out clearly, you can follow that map as you're looking for hazards.
0: Mm-hmm. That yeah, that makes sense. Uh, Daniel, I definitely don't intend to put you on the spot, but I know you have uh, a, a, something to say about this. I'm going to invite you. Yeah. Uh, please yeah. share your thoughts because I think the specific question from Hemang was, how do we even get started doing hazard assessment when we don't know yeah. much about the product or predicate? Yeah, no, I, I agree. I'm start so with
3: Mark there at the end, really kind of going through the steps of figuring, hey, how is this product going to be used? Uh, and what Hemang said, you know, this is a kind of a new novel product, so you're, there's going to be a lot of unknown. So kind of tying it back to Mark, you're going to have to get it uh, physically in the hands of clinicians or whoever's actually going to use the product and really kind of ask, like, just ask them tons of questions, like, what would you do here? What would you do here? And kind of just try to get as much information as you can out of different people who are going to use it, Mm -hmm. um, and kind of get through the steps. And then at each step, you can kind of figure out, okay, well, what's going on here? What are the potential hazards that could come out of this step? And that'll kind of give you a good, good foundation. Um, Mm -hmm. But yeah, tying it in um, the formative studies, if you want to, Um, But sometimes the study is just to get it in the hands and document it and really kind of understand clearly how you think this product is going to be used once it's finally out there.
0: Yeah. So to add to that, guys, Himang, what I will tell you is look up TR24971 and there is an annex where they give you a framework to start us probing questions that relate to characteristics related to safety. Look at that. Look at those questions. See which ones are applicable to you. And work in a cross-functional team, like, you know, people who have clinical, medical knowledge, use knowledge as much as possible. But that annex would give you uh, a template, sort of a framework to form the questions. Because sometimes you may not even know which questions to ask, right? You may not have enough knowledge. And I think that gives you a very step-by-step direction. Guys, so we are um, out of time, unfortunately. So we have to close soon. Mark, I'm going to give you a a minute or so to collect your thoughts and share maybe two key takeaway points. But in the meantime, I'm going to share with you guys a couple of housekeeping announcements. So we are coming to the end of the year. I know everybody is getting ready for the holidays, so we will have one more session next week. Uh, In fact, Daniel, you're going to be our guest, and I've already posted that announcement on LinkedIn. So show up, please, on December 22nd, 11 a.m. Eastern. Now guys, we have done these sessions for almost a year now. And I think it's time for me to do a pulse check, a feedback session with you. Let me know if you would be interested. I think uh, maybe second week of January, I would like to dedicate one of these sessions as a listening session about Let's Talk Risk. I want to hear from you. How should we structure this going forward? I I don't want to keep doing the same thing over and over again if it is not providing value. But using the react button on your screen now, give me some feedback if that would be of interest to you. I really want to hear your voice and I want to dedicate one full session as a listening session and planning session next week. So uh, I hope you will, uh, you know, help me out with this because, you know, this is this is for everybody. This is not just for me. So I'm really seeing a lot of thumbs up, which is great. Uh, I'm going to you know, keep an eye on it uh, on my LinkedIn feed. I will probably dedicate one session, maybe middle of January, to this conversation. With that, Mark, um, the floor is open if you want to share just two, two or three key takeaway points uh, that we can take from this met- uh, conversation today. All right. Yeah. Thanks so much. So number one for me
1: is define in an objective way your clinical benefits for your product as early as possible um in development and to try to appreciate and understand all phases of the product life cycle and the perspective your colleagues may have and what their priorities are if you can understand that then you can um, collaborate more effectively and get to the heart of the problem which could end up filling gaps and keeping patients safer because we're communicating
0: more effectively Oh, that's awesome. Thank you for sharing that, Mark. Guys, again, it has been a pleasure. Uh, it's always very energizing for me personally. I hope you feel the same way. Uh, and I want to thank all of you for joining today. Thanks to Mark, Daniel, Hemang, Bijan. I maybe be here to drop off. But thanks for everybody who, who participated and contributed to this conversation today. Have a good weekend ahead, guys, and we will see you again next week. Take care.